The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm excited to get into the Word. I want to continue in the Word. We, we started last week uh, talking about a specific element of the Scripture that I want to continue speaking about today because I, I think it's necessary. But i got to tell you, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little goofy like this. I, I get something in my head, and it just kind of sticks. Uh, I begin to occupy my time and my thoughts with different things, and, and then I notice that everything I do kind of carries the, the accent of those things with it. I mean, like if I watch a lot of news, you know, all of my thoughts are about current events and things like that. So uh, I think that's normal for most people. But I can tell you as I've been reading the Scripture recently, no matter what area of the Scripture that I'm in, I can't help but interpret it through our current events. I mean, the things that are going on are so huge. They're massive. I mean, the, the, the consequences of the things that are happening now and the things that are scheduled to happen in the coming months, I don't know that I've ever seen more monumental moments in my entire life. And, and used to, that really didn't mean much because I was young and it was like, well, you haven't seen a whole lot. But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing like, you know, I, I've seen a few things and this, is, this takes the cake. I mean, this is really incredible what's going on. And so I want to continue in the message here, and and I want to to share a few things. I mean, you know, last week we talked about truth, and to me, I think that's a a necessary and important thing. We'll we'll see as we get into the scripture why that's necessary and important. If you missed last week, uh, just try to to catch up with it. But truth, and I see truth is something that is is not easily found today, thanks to our, our mainstream media and the agendas that are being pushed, and even those that claim to be on the side of a, a conservative uh, leaning are still biased in one way, shape, or form. It's hard to find truth. It's difficult to find those things in the news today. It's hard to find those things. I mean, here's, a, here's an example. I mean, well, a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the, the group that has really taken over America, the Black Lives Matter. We, we preached a, a message exposing their, what their founders believe in and what their website uh, uh, reveals their agenda is and what they're about. But yet you don't hear that on the mainstream media. You're starting to hear a little bit about it now, but, but it's not something that is, is really exposed. I mean, another element of, of that is, you know, this, this group that some 70% of Americans say they support is, is a Marxist group. They've now raised well over, last check, and this would have been over a week ago, $1.6 billion. That's a well-funded group. That group's not a, a, a charitable organization. So uh, all of these donations that are going in, you have people sending huge amounts of money. Well, they're, they're not receiving tax breaks for that. So they've now joined with another organization that's worth knowing about. Now, this is just kind of, a, a, I guess they'd call it a parent organization or something like that, but they're providing the legal covering Thousand currents or one thousand currents, currents like ocean currents. You know, it's a group. It's run by a man named Paul Strasberg. This guy is in Oakland, California, and has a, a massive left-wing agenda. I mean, all these people are connected, but the the way the money flows now, there's a couple of things that that you know you have to think. Well, what's your point? Are you just kind of ranting on some political thing? Are you using 
Sunday morning as a political platform. Well, I'm, I want to get to the point. The point is, of this $1.6 billion plus that's meant to, to end social injustice, if that money were to be audited today, the numbers would look like this. 25% of that goes to salaries. Well, you know, I've, I've worked in nonprofits and charitable organizations, and when I hear that number, I think, well, that's not bad. In fact, that's doing better than most. But then there's 46% that goes to consultant fees. What is that? Consultant fees. Money's paid out to people who are consulting them in how to what? Protest, riot. And I want to say protest because I do think that there are some that are protesting and operating well within their rights to do so. But then there are those that are not. And when you run those numbers, then you have 29% left over. 29% to do what? 29% to print signs, run ads, uh, print Black Lives Matter on streets and on, on you know, the NBA uh, 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 courts, basketball courts, and the NFL end zones. I mean, the, that money is being spent on the founders, on the employees, on the people, and then on these consultants, and, and only God knows who those people are. But people are getting rich off of this, and every single weekend, read the statistics for New York, Chicago, Baltimore, on the murder rates, the shootings, the, the criminal activity that is affecting black lives. And so the point is, is that's why when I read things like truth and how truth matters, I think, why don't people talk about that? Because if you want to fly a banner about a, a political organization and, and, oh, they mean good and they're doing good, but you don't talk about who they really are, you don't talk about the truth, you're going to end up setting people up to be deceived. And that's why last week, I think, is important. We're going to find out where we're at this week. So, you know, I want to give you a few things that we're going to find in the Word here. One, what we need to deal with. There's something that we need to deal with, and we're going to find out what that is. A second thing we're going to find is what needs all of your attention? What needs all of your attention? And I mean, when we get to that, it'll, it'll make sense to you. I know that you're busy, you, you multitask, you have multiple roles. I know myself, uh, uh, I, I function as a husband and as a father and as a pastor, and all of those things require my attention. But there's something that needs my attention at all times. It, it, I, you can't take a day off. It, it requires your attention. We'll see what that is as we get into the scripture. And then a third thing we're going to find uh, is what we need to develop an appetite for. What we need to develop an appetite for. Now, I'm saying that strategically. I mean, uh, the word appetite is a word that I use a lot, but I don't think we use it a lot. You know, we just say things like, I'm hungry, or, or something like that. But the appetite is not necessarily the hunger, rather it's what you're hungry for. I mean, let me tell you what I have an appetite for a lot. Ice cream. <laughs> donuts. I love donuts. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I really do. I like donuts a lot. And, and I go, and there's a reason why they're sold by the dozen, because you're supposed to eat them 12 at a time. <laughs> I'm serious. That's why they do that. I go in the donut shop and I start ordering and they're looking at me like, is there somebody in your car? I'm like, nah, just me. But, but, I mean, so I'm married to a woman who doesn't have an appetite for those things. She couldn't care less about ice cream or donuts, you know? So the appetite isn't the hunger. The appetite is what you're hungry for. And we're going to find out what we need to develop an appetite for. 
There's something in the scripture that we need to develop an appetite for, and I think we can uh, pursue that together and see really great results. So I told you we're going to find out what we need to deal with. I want to find that out immediately. We're going to get back into the scripture here, the same place we started last week, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I think we're going to begin somewhere around verse 10. Now, traditionally, this is an area of scripture that we refer to as containing the armor of God. The armor of God. And that's what we talked about last week. We're going to continue talking about it this week. And we get here in Ephesians chapter 6, right around verse 10, uh, Paul begins to write and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, I, I stop there when I read this and I think, what an incredible instruction. And when I read that, it inspires me to realize that everything that he's going to be saying is going to be what I need to hear in order to fulfill this, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, I, I don't talk like that today, and I don't know that you would either, but be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might or in his power. Be strong in the Lord and have his power. Walk in the power of God. He says this in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that, and I mean, I, those are the things I circle in my Bible, so that, put on the full armor of God and the result will be you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I asked this last week and I'll probably ask it every week when we talk about this, do you feel like there are schemes of the devil going on right now? I mean, yeah, I wanted to, to pray with, with Nate and Misty a moment ago because I think there are schemes of the devil within their extended family just bringing chaos and destruction and disorder. And they have the call and the anointing, even as we get into the word today, to help their family stand firm against those things. And they're no different than me or you. So this call upon our lives to stand firm, to put on the full armor of God so that we can have this result, the ability to stand firm against the schemes of the devil is what we're in pursuit of. Now, in verse 12, we're going to find what we need to deal with. Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness in the world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are the unseen things, you know, the, the demonic realm and the satanic realm, those things. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Now, we're going to continue to read, but I want to go back. I mentioned we were going to find what we need to deal with, and we saw it. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I mean, flesh and blood is the way that Paul wrote it, and it's the right way to write it. But I don't speak like that, and most likely you don't either. I mean, if you really wanted to, to let that speak in our current vernacular, you would just say, we don't wrestle with people. I mean, I wouldn't cross out flesh and blood. It's a great interpretation. It's a great translation, but you might just write in the word people. We are, my problems are not people problems. That's why if I spend my time being frustrated at people or, or hating people or fighting with people, I'm wasting my time. There won't be any solution. It'll just lead to separation and breaches of fellowship and all kinds of, of loss and hurt, but it won't bring fruitful results. So before, the statement was, we'll find what we need to deal with. So what do we need to deal with? Well, if our problems aren't people, but our problems are the forces or the spirits that are at work within the person, then that's what we need to be dealing with. And the way we, do with that, the way we deal with that excuse me, is, is through prayer, through ministry, the use of the, the authority of the kingdom of God, 
When Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and what you uh, bind on the earth will be bound in the heavens, and what you loose on the earth will be loosed in the heavens, these are the things he's talking about. That we can walk in his authority and deal with the things that are actually causing the problems that we're facing. So when we look at, at whether it's politicians, whether it's family, whether it's people, uh, whether it's employers or bosses or employees or any area where we have issues with people, we don't need to be wrestling with the person. Rather, we need to be dealing with the driving force, that principality, that power, that ruler of darkness in this world or in spiritual, uh, spiritually heavenly places. And then Paul goes on to say this now in, in verse 14. He begins to describe the armor of God. He says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. That's what we talked about last week. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We'll talk about that this week. And having covered your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Now remember, all of those elements are what we need in order to resist. If we don't have those elements, we are unable to resist. And when that affliction or that oppression comes in, when those schemes of the devil enter into our life, our country, whatever element, we're swept away by them, unable to stand firm, unable to resist. So we spoke about truth last week, and this week we're going to talk about the piece that is the breastplate of righteousness. It's so hard for me not to bring visual aids in here when we do this. And I asked my wife, hey, should I do that? You know, and I just thought, yeah, it's, you get the picture. It, all it would do is, you know, make me wear a costume and I'd probably get hot and sweaty and it just would... But the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, if you were to picture somebody, uh, when this was written, you'd probably picture like a, a Roman soldier or something along those lines. You'd picture maybe a, a metal or, or leather or bronze piece that was worn over the chest and over the back and held together by straps over the shoulder. But basically it protected the, the torso, you know. And that Paul would equate these things with an element of the kingdom of God is really important. Now, we talked last week about the, the girding of the loins with truth. We talked about what that meant and, and why it was important. Now, we see that, that it's the, the breastplate of righteousness. I want to talk about righteousness for a moment. I think it's important to understand why it's the breastplate of righteousness. And, and it's not like the breastplate of kindness or the breastplate of, of you know, gentleness, but he's saying righteousness on purpose. I mean, there's a reason for this. I want to get into the scripture. I want to, I want to see, I want to examine, I want to be able to, to understand why this would be the way the Spirit of God would reveal these things to us. So righteousness just by definition, and when I'm going for a definition here, I didn't turn to Webster's dictionary or, or any dictionary, uh, an English dictionary, but rather I turned to a concordance. I didn't avoid the English dictionary. I just didn't look it up in the dictionary. I looked it up in the concordance, and I wanted to bring the definition that's in a, a biblical concordance. Righteousness. If you go to a concordance to look at the word righteous that is in breastplate of righteousness, righteousness is defined as the condition acceptable to God. 
I love that definition. It's simple. It's easy. It's short. The condition that's acceptable to God, it doesn't get in the weeds, tangled up with what's good, what's bad. It just talks about righteousness as simply being what's acceptable to God. What does God say is right? What does God say is good? What does God say is is sin and not sin? The condition that's acceptable to God. This is why when Jesus enters into our life, who we so desperately need in order to walk in his righteousness, we become acceptable to God. Because righteousness, the thing that Jesus brings into our lives, is the condition that is acceptable to God. I want to give you a few things concerning righteousness and why it's so important from a biblical standpoint. I mean, from what the Word of God says and how we can understand why this is so important that it's meant to be part of our resistance to all things that are schemes of the devil. So I want to give you these things. I mean, we're going to find these things in one passage of Scripture, and I just think they're interesting. The Scripture will be Psalm 11, verse 7. But what we'll find from this translation is who God is, what God loves, and who gets to be with God or see God or fellowship with God. Psalm 11, verse 7, it reads like this. For the Lord is righteous. So there's who he is. It goes on to say, the Lord loves righteousness. Well, there's what he loves. And then it goes on to say, the righteous or the upright will behold his face. Now, that's not just talking about a people group that will see God or or witness God and all of his splendor. It's not just speaking of it in those terms. Rather, it's even being issued as a promise. That in my desperation to see God's hand move in power, to see deliverance, to see him uh, bring relief or victory, I can hold that as a promise. That it's the righteous that will behold God. That needs to be a promise that affects my decision making to prevent me from compromise in a moment of weakness. That needs to be a promise that has an impact on how I speak and how I respond versus react. That needs to be a promise that affects who I am as a person. Not just something that poetically ends a verse in the Psalms, but rather it's a promise. That when I make the decision to pursue righteousness, it positions me to see God move on my behalf. Psalm 33 verse 5 says that the Lord loves righteousness. He loves justice and the earth is filled with his glory or his loving kindness. When you realize that that these are the things that God loves, then you can understand why these are the things that are meant to be part of our lives. I mean, when we pray and when we seek God to know His will, His will is to do the things that He loves, that He favors. And if He loves righteousness, then those things that should be revealed to us to do in carrying out His will will be righteous. So when I think about this, I have to ask, you know, I mean, this, this, this is making sense to me. I, I often ask, that, why are we in the state that we're in? I mean, I'm, the righteousness in my life is the righteousness by faith of Jesus Christ. So what's going on in my life? Why in the world would there continue to be these assaults and these schemes of the devil? I mean, these attempts to defile 
When you see in the scripture what righteousness is and, and, and what it stands for, you can understand why these schemes and these attempts to disrupt and defile would exist in the first place. I mean, let me give you an example from our, our current times. Right now, in, in certain cities run by, by certain politically minded people, there are riots. Riots going on every night. Targeting certain buildings that represent the, the, the federal justice system. Attempts to, to breach barriers and, and destroy and vandalize these buildings are going on nightly. Attempts to defile, attempts to, to, to bring down these buildings going on every night. The same thing is happening in my life and in your life. You stand for something that all evil hates. You stand for the justice and the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And every single attempt to disrupt or disturb what God has brought into your life is an attempt to defile, to vandalize that which testifies that God is present, that Jesus is alive, and that he rules and reigns forevermore. I want to give you a passage out of the psalm. Psalm 97 verse 2. Psalm 97 verse 2. Speaking of our King Jesus, it reads like this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The same way the rioters are hoping to, to deface and to defile and to vandalize the symbols of our federal government, there is an attempt to deface, defile, and vandalize the symbol of God's righteousness and his justice. Attempts to vandalize the very throne of our King Jesus. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, again out of the psalm. Psalm 89, verses 14 through 17. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. How blessed are the people who know this joyful sound. O oh Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and by your favor we are exalted. This entire psalm is talking about what's taken place at the cross and the resurrection. The idea that your life would be elevated by his righteousness. The reason for this attempt to defile and disrupt righteousness in your life and in my life is because it is that righteousness that brings about our exaltation. God has elevated us from everything unclean, from all corruption, from all darkness, all by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, for Christians, righteousness should be a lifestyle. It's, it's a calling, and I want to break this down very quickly and continue to, to advance in the direction that we need to go. I'll give you a passage of scripture from one of John's letters. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. John's writing to the church and he speaks to the church and says, If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. It's not a riddle there, but I kind of want to break it down. Basically what he's saying is you know that if Jesus is righteous, then the, those around you that are living their life the way Jesus lives is of Jesus. These people are of Jesus, would be better English. 
You know that Jesus is righteousness, therefore everyone who practices righteousness is of him. It goes on to say, if you continue to read in 1 John, that there's a separation between two people groups in the world. That there are the children of God, that there are the children of the devil, is how he puts it. That there are those that are of light and those that are of darkness. The difference between these two people groups is the practicing of righteousness. Well, no wonder righteousness is under such assault by our enemy. Because to remove righteousness from the life of the believer is to move the believer into a place of being led by the devil himself. I want to give you a passage of scripture here in a moment. But before I do that, I want to talk about the word righteousness. I mean, this is just kind of a personal quirk and don't let it push you over the edge and send you off to, to Napville here. Try to stay awake. But on occasion, I, I like to go back to English class. I hated English class when I was there. One of my favorite teachers was my English teacher in high school because she actually cared about me and, and really had high hopes for my life and believed in me. It was very kind of her. I didn't see that at the time, but I, I really gave her hell. And, and today I realized she, she, was, she was very good to me. But I realize the power of understanding the words that we speak, and I think it's, it's helpful to take a moment and look at the word righteousness. Now, there's something that, that, that we need to understand. First of all, it's based on the word righteous. I mean, the word righteous is a descriptive word. It would be describing, you know, something or someone. You would describe them as, as you know, righteous. It would just be, you know, a, a, an adjective, a word describing But you add that suffix N-E-S-S at the end, and it changes something. It changes it from an adjective or a descriptive word to a noun. You know, we know nouns as being person, places, things, or ideas. And when it makes that change, it, it alters something. When you put that N-E-S-S at the end, it makes the word righteous become righteousness, changing it into a, a state of being. So we don't just have a call in our life to occasionally do righteous things. But yet we have an anointing upon our life to walk in righteousness. It is who we are in Jesus Christ. When we become believers, when we are brought into the kingdom of God, when we are taken and separated from darkness and brought into light, when we are washed by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Ghost, we are not just called to occasionally do some things that could be described as righteous, rather as a people. We are the righteousness of God. A state of being. Meaning that it's not interrupted by you know, times of, of high commitment to what's righteous and then compromise and low commitment to what's righteous and then Conviction and high commitment to what's righteous and then compromise and low commitment. But our choices and our decisions ought to be filtered through, is this righteous? If it is righteous, then I will embrace it because I am the righteousness of God. If it is not righteous, then I will reject it because I am the righteousness of God in Jesus. Righteousness. Now remember, we're, we're talking about the equipping that's needed to resist the schemes of the devil. 
And when Paul is revealing what that equipment is, he speaks of armor and he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. I want to move away from just the concept of righteousness for a second and talk about that peace and what it does. I mean, if you were to put on that chest covering, that breastplate, and you were to simply ask yourself, what does this do? Why does this make me more effective? Why does this make me less vulnerable to attack? I think we would all come to the same conclusion, that that protects your heart. It protects your heart. Your heart that is moving everything through your entire circulatory system. I mean, God is saying something specific here that righteousness is what protects our heart and keeps our heart uh, in a position to be able to continue to distribute all that gives life to every other aspect of our living or every other part of your body. That is why righteousness is such a high priority for the believer, not just something we do, but rather who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. We don't just do righteous things on occasion. So that our hearts can be protected and they can provide all that is necessary for the rest of our life. Why does your heart need protecting? I mean, anyone who's ever felt any kind of heart sickness or heartbreak knows full well that your heart needs protecting, but why? I like to know why. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here for your notes, and I think this passage of Scripture uh, is one that, that ought to be noted down. I mentioned before we're going to find out what needs all of your attention or what needs your attention all of the time. We'll find it here. I want to give you this passage of Scripture from two different translations. First, the King James Version. King James Version reads like this, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are all of the issues of life. I want to read the same passage from the the NIV. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, I I like that King James Version, but I've got to tell you the NIV reads more fluidly to me. It makes more sense to me in how I speak today, and so I want to use that as the version that we expound upon here. Above all else, above all else, meaning give this top priority. To fail here is to fail in other places. If we cannot guard our hearts, it will have an effect in every other aspect of our living. It will have an effect within our relationships, marriage and family, friendship. It will have an effect in our workplace, how we we deal with those who are over us and those who are, are under our leadership. It will affect all things. Above all else, guard your heart. It's amazing to me that the breastplate of righteousness, that peace that's meant to guard the heart, is required and attached to righteousness, that state of being that is found when we are in Jesus. Above all else, guard your heart. And the reason why? Because everything you do flows from it. So here's where I find myself oftentimes. I'm often dealing with trouble in multiple places. I have twisted off and said something ugly to my wife or I didn't respond in a godly way to my children or I handled a counseling situation carnally and lost my patience and, and, and didn't, 
give the best of me or didn't represent Jesus, but rather just kind of pushed my own agenda or thought. I mean, there's a, a number of different ways in which I can fail every single day of my life. And when I find that I'm having to run over here and, and put out a fire and then run over there and, and put out a fire and run over there while I messed up over there and it's, it's all, all over the place, there's one place that I need to address. Why are there fires over here and fires over there and fires over there? Because I failed to guard the one thing that all of those things flow out of, my heart. Sometimes it's easier for someone else to see those things or be aware of those things. I can admit to you in confidence that in, in many situations in conflict within my marriage, I've had the same thing repeated over and over. I'm sorry, I'll get it right next time. I'm so. There was one time Ashley pulled me aside lovingly, sat me down. We talked about it, and she said, I'm concerned. And I just said, you know, what are you concerned about? I'll get this. I can do this. I, I, I will. I will do it. I'm concerned that, that your approach is wrong. You're, you're trying to do this differently, and the reality is it's a heart issue. Until you deal with the heart issue, you're never going to do it differently. That's a little bit paraphrased, but that's it in a nutshell. And what she was aware of is what the Scripture is testifying of. If the heart's not guarded and all of the issues of life flow out of the heart, then all of the issues of life are going to be affected by a vulnerable, compromised heart and the results will be vulnerable and compromised so I have to ask myself then what makes a heart healthy I mean how do I deal with my heart issue if I'm meant to 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 put on the breastplate of righteousness and protect my heart what do I do if my heart's already compromised what do I do if I already have issues I mean, I turn to the scripture and I see to resist the devil, I need to put on the armor of God that includes the breastplate of righteousness, protect my heart with righteousness. But what if it's too late to protect it from injury because it's already injured? Because really, armor is to prevent injury. Nobody gets rushed into the emergency room at the hospital and the doctors say, quick, put armor on him. What they say is, man, this guy should have been wearing armor. Now we got to fix him. So what makes a heart healthy? I want to give you a passage of scripture here so we can pursue this. I want us to have healthy hearts, and then I want us to guard our hearts with the armor that God's equipped us with, that breastplate of righteousness. What makes a heart healthy? Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now when I read that passage of scripture, I, I read between the lines a little bit. And I see that a, a joyful heart is a healthy thing. That it's like having taken good medicine. It's, it's what you need in order to be well. And I can see that it's the state of the heart that leads to that wellness, that joyful state of the heart. When I read that passage of Scripture, it doesn't take much reading between the lines to realize that the key to this healthy heart and this healthy sensation in life is joy. Joyful, a joyful heart is good medicine. 
But then the opposite of that, because these are running opposites. I mean, if I were to write a scripture and I were to say, you know, a light room is easy to see in, but a dark room is like being blind. You would understand that light and dark are considered opposites in that. So when I look at this and I see the opposite of a joyful heart, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. When my heart loses its joy, I'm dealing with a broken spirit. I mean, we refer to brokenheartedness often. It's in our culture. Well, she broke my heart, or he broke my heart, or or, well, that just breaks my heart. But we're dealing with a situation here where the absence of joy driving our heart leads us to a place where we are subject to a broken spirit that is absolutely destructive. You have to understand the, the, art, the artistic writing here. Someone is trying to communicate in a short poetic way how absolutely destructive this broken spirit is, and they said this, it dries up the bones. I think that sums it up. It's not good. So I want to give us just a a test. I call it the heart test. The heart test. Because remember now, the breastplate of righteousness is what we need to resist the devil. Our heart needs joy to be healthy. Why is it that God wouldn't call it the breastplate of joy? We're going to get to that in just a second. I want to give you a test, though. You can test your heart to find out if it is in need of of healing in ministry. Like I said before, I mean, the armor is to protect your heart, but what do you do if you're already injured? Well, we see the need for joy. How do you know if you're injured? Well, I'll give you the heart test right here. Out of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 15, verse 8. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about the heart. He says, the things that proceed out of the mouth... That's your words come from the heart. If you want to evaluate your heart, evaluate your words. I can say I love you to my wife all day long, but if I speak to her harshly, my words are revealing the true state of my heart. I can say that I love Jesus all day long, but if I treat people like garbage and I'm verbally abusive to them, it's revealing the state of my heart. And I work with men. Some of them are very eloquent with curse words. I've never heard them weave such such tapestries of of profanity in my life. I I couldn't do it if I tried. And I've talked to them and I've said, hey, you know why that's bad? It's not like for a Christian, it's just against the rules to cuss. Christians don't cuss because our hearts changed. It's no longer in me to just curse nonstop. I've said my my share of curse words, but it's not a part of who I am. It's not not in my vocabulary to that extent. So it's interesting to me to start testing your words. I mean, what are things that you would look for? What will be led by the Holy Spirit? Look for things like criticism. Look for things like complaint. Look for things like cursing. You know, I mean, I'll evaluate my words, and sometimes I don't like the evaluation. I'll think, man, I am one fussy guy. The only thing keeping me from being a toddler is my age.
but it's revealing of my heart. And my heart needing to be protected. My heart needing to be healed from past wounds. So how do we get what we need to have a healthy heart? I mean, if it's the joy that it, it drives us in our hearts to be healthy, if, it's, if that's necessary, how do we get that? And remember, our pursuit here is that breastplate of righteousness. I want to give you a passage of Scripture that's out of the Psalms and quoted again in the first chapter of Hebrews, a passage of Scripture that is written prophetically about our King Jesus and also about our lives through Jesus. <clears throat> I want to pull from the psalm, Psalm 45, verse 7. Psalm 45, verse 7. It reads like this. You have loved righteousness. You hated wickedness. Therefore, now here comes the result of that. You've done this thing, now here comes the result. You've loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. You've embraced righteousness and rejected wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. That joy that's needed for my heart to be healthy. That joy that's needed to get my heart right, that then is revealed in my words and my actions. It's all contingent upon that love for righteousness, that righteousness that makes up that breastplate that ultimately protects my heart. That commitment to righteousness that opens up the door for the anointing of joy that is the good medicine to my heart. I desire to have a developed appetite in my life for righteousness. I mentioned before we were going to find what we need to develop an appetite for. I want to talk about that now as we close. And once again, remind you that the appetite isn't the hunger. Rather, it's what you are hungry for. I'll give you a passage of scripture here as we close. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It's a promise, a promise to me and a promise to you. Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus is speaking and he promises this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I read that scripture as a believer and it, it lights a fire in me. It sets a priority on, on an instruction that's given to us straight from the top from Jesus himself. To turn in my prayer life to God and ask, Father, by your spirit, will you kindle an appetite in me for righteousness? Will you stir it in me, increase it in me, that I would truly long for the things that will bring the joy that will make my heart whole, and that will protect me and enable me to stand against the devil in all of his schemes. It's a wonderful thing to add to your prayer life. Father, change my appetites. If there are other things that I have an appetite for that are outside of righteousness, let those things pass away. 
and let a new appetite be formed. I want to hunger for the things that make my heart healthy. I want to hunger for the things that equip me to stand firm. I want to hunger for the things that you've paid the highest price to bring into my life through Jesus. I want to hunger for those things that will leave me satisfied. Can you imagine a better promise than satisfaction? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do a couple of things. Before we pray, I want to acknowledge this. I don't think that I've ever met a person who hasn't had their heart touched in a negative way by a situation or a circumstance. A way in which they felt heartsick or, or that broken spirit that we read about from the Proverbs. I want to ask God to, to touch that area of our lives, to heal that wound in our heart. And I want to ask God by a spirit to equip us, to renew an appetite in us for righteousness, that we could walk with that armor to prevent those wounds from ever having an effect on us in the future. There where you stand, you can be in a state of agreement or just simply receiving, but I want to pray, and I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for you as well. Father, we thank you for your word, that you love us, that you care for us, that you have plans for us. I thank you for the truth that you reveal to us in your word. And I ask now in Jesus' name that there would be an openness in our hearts and our minds to receive your word as truth, to embrace it, to be willing to be changed by it. Let our minds be renewed. Let our hearts be softened. I ask now in Jesus' name for a touch by your spirit for each one of us, where we have been wounded in our hearts, where we've known the brokenness in our spirit. Let there be a love for righteousness kindled inside of us today that would open the door for that anointing of joy that would bring healing and restoration to our hearts. And I ask for an appetite to be formed in each one of us, that we would hunger for the things that are pleasing to you, the things that make up the very foundation of the throne of our King, let an appetite for righteousness be in each one of us. Let there be an effect in how we view the things going on around us. Let there be an effect in how we interpret the Scripture. Let there be an effect in how we pray and how we intercede. But for each of us, let there be a surrender to our need to hunger and thirst for what is pleasing and acceptable to you. And let a transformation take place in each one of us. Let appetites of vanity give way to an appetite for righteousness. And that as we would hunger and thirst for the things that are acceptable to you, we would make way for the anointing, the oil of joy to come upon our lives. That we would put on the armor that you have so richly blessed us with. That our hearts would be guarded and protected by all that is pleasing to you. And that we would truly stand firm and not be swept away by the schemes of our enemy. We bless your name and we thank you for healing and restoration. And we rejoice in the promise of protection 
as we live out our lives to your glory and for your namesake. We bless your name and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.